We are going to be in Philippians again. This is a week of, of transition in lots of households. Summer is over this week and the school year is starting, at least in our public schools. School year is starting, college kids have headed back and are adjusting to life away from home. And we're in transition, and so I just want to share with you a couple of things before I begin about some things that are coming up in the fall. Pastor Stephen has already mentioned these, but we're just a couple of weeks away from moving into to a fall schedule. Uh, then we're going to finish up our, our letters that Paul has written to the churches, at least today, as we conclude Philippians. And then for, we, have, we have a couple more weeks here as, as the summer ends, and so we're going to try to look at Paul's pastoral letters. He writes some letters to Timothy and to Titus, uh, giving them some instructions as, as pastors. So we're going to try to look at those just for a couple of weeks of Timothy and Titus and try to, to give you, again, a, a, a quick survey, a, a, a large 30,000-foot view of what those pastoral letters look like that Paul wrote. And then, that'll take a couple of weeks, and then the week after Labor Day, that's kind of our, that's kind of our kickoff fall Sunday. We have a, a pancake breakfast that morning. Uh, we start some new Sunday school classes. Our children move into their new classes on that Sunday morning. And so we, we want you to come back and join us for that as we kick off our things on that Sunday morning. But on that Sunday, the Sunday after Labor Day, uh, we're going to jump into a new sermon series, and we're going, now that we've kind of done a brief overview of, of much of the New Testament, we're going to jump into the Old Testament, and we're going to go back all the way to the beginning and begin to look at not Genesis, but Exodus. We're going to jump into book number two in the Pentateuch and uh, look, walk through the book of Exodus together, really trying to see who is God? We walked through Acts trying to see who is, who is the church and how does God call them and work in them. And now we're going to jump back to the beginning and say, who is God and what is his glory all about? And the book of Acts will help us to, or the book of Exodus, I'm sorry, will walk us through that. And so we're going to jump into that in just a couple weeks. I hope you'll come back and join us for that. We also have, uh, as our Wednesday night things kick off too on, on the Wednesday after Labor Day, uh, we'll kick off with our clubhouse uh, kickoff. We'll have some inflatables for that. Our youth will kick off that night. Our, we have a men's and women's Bible study that will start on those Wednesdays. And so we hope that you can join us for that. And as Pastor Stephen mentioned, there's a couple of things also coming, a, a child baby dedication is coming up in September. If you uh, would be interested in that, you can contact one of us and we'll share the information about that. And a baptism service that we're going to have on a Sunday morning as part of our Sunday morning worship uh, on Sunday, October 1st. And so uh, we would love to visit with you more about those things if you'd like to be a part uh, of that baptism service or a part of that child dedication. All of those things are coming. And so fall, it's still, well, today it doesn't feel like summer. It will feel like summer this week when it's 90 degrees again. Uh, but fall is on its way, and so I hope that you'll put those things on your calendar. We're going to jump back into Philippians. It's page 980, if you're in your Pooh Bible this morning. We've been walking through these letters of Paul. We've been walking through them chronologically, the way that he wrote them. This is, the, is, this is a letter that Paul wrote, the last of the church letters, at least, that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned in Rome. He sent off some, some letters to the church in Ephesus. He sent a letter to the church in Colossae. He sent a letter to Philemon, a layperson in Colossae. And then he sends off this letter to, Philippi, to the church in Philippi. 
We walked through the church of Philippi. If you remember last week, we, we painted a picture a little bit of Paul's initial time in Philippi. He came, he, he started a church right on the, uh, with, some, with some women that were worshiping beside the river started a church. He was, he was then thrown in prison. There was an earthquake. He, he could have escaped but didn't. The jailer uh, saw that. And the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And, and Paul replied, you just have to believe. Believe. And the church was started in Philippi. Paul went back several times to Philippi, often on his journey through, on his missionary journeys, he would stop. And he began to watch the church begin to grow and flourish and more people coming to the faith and the gospel becoming more and more alive to the people in Philippi. They were, they were truly partners in the gospel. He says that several times. In fact, here in Philippians, in his letter to the Philippians, he calls them his, his joy and his crown. He loves he loves the people of Philippi. They have given him financially. They have supported him a number of times throughout. And they were uh, big givers to the gift that he was hauling, that he, that he took to Jerusalem from all of the churches. They were, they were initially a huge part of that gift. Even now, this letter that he writes back to them is because they sent Epaphroditus, a man from their church in, in Philippi, they sent him with a gift to Rome when they heard that he was imprisoned in Rome. They sent Epaphroditus with a gift that he might bring it, that he might support Paul, that he might be an encouragement to Paul. And so even now, while he's imprisoned in Rome, he is, uh, the, the church of Philippi is an encouragement and a partner to him in the gospel. And so now Paul is writing this letter back to a church that he knows well, that he knows the people well. He, he started it himself. He knows from the very beginning this church in Philippi, and he's sending a letter, what may possibly be one of his last letters, to them. And so last week we said, what does he want for these people in Philippi? What is what is the one thing, if we had to narrow this whole letter, all four of these chapters down to one thing, what's the one thing that Paul wants for the believers in Philippi? And it's this, joy. Joy. Twelve different times he talks throughout the, book of, the letter to the Philippians about joy. And it's not, not happiness, I said last week. That, that term, that phrase is too trite for what Paul is talking about in the letter to the Philippians. It's not happiness, but it's a deep-seated settledness in the hope that comes from the gospel. A deep-seated settledness that comes from the hope that's found in the gospel. It's a joy. It's a joy that can be with the ones who are beaten, who are whipped, who are thrown into prison as Paul and Silas were when they were in Philippi. And their response when they're in the deepest, darkest dungeon part of prison is to sing songs. It's to sing songs and to praise so that when the earthquake happens, no one runs away, but they all stay because they hear. They're, they're astonished by what they hear. It's that kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that when you're imprisoned in Rome, facing what very well could be an execution, you can talk about what Paul talks about here, that whether 
life or death. I would choose death, he says, but for your sake, but for your sake, it may be life and deliverance. It's the kind of joy that you can have when you're imprisoned under lock and key in Rome. How can we know that joy? What Paul gives us here in Philippians, he gives us a few examples of what we can do. And the first example that he gives us, we found in chapter two, he gives us the example, the joy comes from the encouragement and the example that we have in Christ. I want you to look again at chapter two. In chapter two of Philippians, he says, it says if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, this is what you need to have. And look at, sorry, look at verse five, chapter two, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and, having, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Last week I told you, Paul starts with this when he talks about joy, when he talks about the example of joy, he starts with Jesus, and he has an inverted parabola, if you remember that from last week, that Jesus, Jesus did not account equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead began this downward plunge of the parabola. He did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead he empties himself. He takes on the form of a servant. He begins to have the likeness of man, and then when he is found in human form, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. That he begins this downward parabola and comes all the way down to the bottom and humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus does not try to make himself like God, but humbles himself. He becomes a sacrifice, a servant. And then, therefore, it says in verse 9, the parabola begins to go up. Therefore, when he becomes obedient to the point of death and death on a cross, that's the bottom. Therefore, God exalts him and bestows on him the name that is above every name, so that everyone, so that everyone might bow their knee in heaven and on earth. And every tongue might confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Last week I said, joy comes from obedience. That's what we learn from this example of Jesus. Joy comes from obedience. Joy comes from humility. Joy comes from sacrifice. And joy comes from faithfulness. That every tongue might confess that Jesus is Lord. Many of you, many of you know uh, Lauren Stewart, who's been a part of our church for years and years and years, and in these last couple of years, uh, has been uh, in a nursing home in Aberdeen and not been able to be with us. But if you remember, 
Lauren, he, he has a, 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 simple, a simple faith. All through his life, he's had a simple faith. And he, I was thinking about him this week because he oftentimes would share with me the secret to joy. If you remember Lauren sharing this, he would say, if you want to have joy, you need to remember Jesus, others, and you. He shared that with me often. The secret to joy is Jesus, others, and you. And as I, as I studied through Philippians and thought about what I wanted to say this week, that, I came back to Lauren's joy. Jesus, others, and you. That's exactly the way that Paul shares it here in Philippians. He gives us some examples. He gives us some examples. He starts with Christ's example. He gives us examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. He even uses himself, Paul, as an example. But he reminds us that joy comes from Jesus, from others, and then in ourselves. Let's look at chapter 2, right after that passage that we just looked at, the inverted parabola, the hymn about Jesus Christ. In verse 12 in chapter 2, Paul says, he, he gives us this great hymn of Jesus, and then he says, therefore, because of Jesus' example, because of what we just looked at, because of what we just read, because of Jesus' example, therefore, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because of Jesus' example, because he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became a servant, died on the cross, God lifts his name up so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, the next thing for you is to work out your salvation. It's to work out your salvation. We call this, in the church, we call this sanctification. We call it becoming more and more Christ-like. Some people, one man has called it a long obedience in the same direction. It's this, it's this process that we have of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's this process we have of becoming more and more holy. You see, as Paul says it, you see it here. He says, he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He doesn't say work for your salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Our salvation, our justification Our salvation is secure in Christ. There is no need for us to work for it, but instead we work out our salvation. Our salvation, our salvation in Jesus is secure, but our transformation into becoming more and more Christ-like still is incomplete. And so Paul tells us here early on We need to become more and more like Jesus. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need our transformation. We need our holiness to grow. We need this transformation inside of us to become more and more complete. We are to work out our salvation. And then, this is how he tells us to do it. Look at verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14. Work out your salvation He says, let me go back. Let me back up. I missed a point here in verse 13. For it's God 
who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's this process of us becoming more and more Christ-like, more and more holy, this salvation, this long obedience over a long period of time, this more and more like Jesus, working out our salvation. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say, go to it, work on it, try harder, accomplish it on your own. He says, it's God who works in you. It's God who works in you to will and to do. It's God who works in you. You're not left to try harder. You're not left to pull on your bootstraps and just go after it a little bit more. Our sanctification process is God working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. The hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel is Christ in us. That we look to him in us, the spirit at work in us, making us more and more like him. We're not left to do it on our own. You're not told to muster up your own strength and get it done. But you're told God works in you to help you accomplish this working out of your salvation. But then look in verse 14. If God is working in us, he's making us more and more like Jesus. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. The very next thing that Paul says, this is what it looks like when you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you to will and to work his good pleasure. He says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling or complaining, other versions might say. This is... This is what Paul says, becoming more and more Christ-like, becoming more and more like Jesus, is to do all things without grumbling or complaining. That is so specific. It's so specific. I think I would rather, I think I would rather when, when, when Jesus is, is sharing the most important of all the commandments, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. At least that seems generic enough that I can kind of fit my life into it, right? This is so specific. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. This is what it looks like to become more and more Christ-like. It's to do everything without grumbling or disputing, grumbling or complaining. Paul's immediate response when he says this is how to work out Your salvation, God works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure and then do everything. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why does he say it that way? I think it's because when we rub shoulders with the world around us, when we bump into the people around us, our Christ-likeness should shine through. working out our salvation should be like a a flashbang to the world around us, that Christ-likeness shines through us. And the scene everywhere, our, our attitudes and our moods reflect Jesus Christ. Our greetings and our interactions with people reflect Jesus Christ. Our general outlook on life reflects Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul's telling us to put on some kind of facade. He's not asking for phoniness in this. But he's saying when 
God is at work to will and to work in you for his good pleasure, the first thing is to do all things without grumbling or complaining. The first part of joy, according to Lauren, is Jesus. We looked at that last week. The other part is this, others. That's the O. And that's what Paul's telling us here. How we treat others shows both the root and the fruit of our salvation. How we treat others shows both the root of our joy and the fruit of our salvation. So how do we find joy when we want to grumble and complain? Because we do, right? That's why Paul has to write it here, and that's why you and I know that this is a hard, detailed response. What do we do? How do we find joy when we want to complain and grumble? We remember the gospel. I think that's where Paul points us. We remember the gospel. We hold fast to the word of life, he says in verse 16. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We hold fast to the word of life so that we might shine as lights in the world. We remember the gospel. We remember that we have escaped death, a certain death, a necessary death, a deserved death. We have escaped death and our sins have been forgiven. Our eternity is secure, Paul tells us in Philippians. We remember the gospel. We turn our focus to the example of Jesus who became, humbled himself to death, became a servant, became a sacrifice. And we focus on the example of Jesus and that helps us, that keeps us from focusing on our needs, from our complaints, from our own grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, Paul says. That's how we begin to show the work of God in us, and that's, begin, that's how we begin to develop joy in our lives. Paul goes on, we don't have time to look at all of it, but Paul goes on here in the end of chapter two, he begins to share some other examples that we can imitate. Paul, Paul tells us that we're to imitate him, we'll look at that in a second, but he also gives us these other examples, both of Timothy and of Epaphroditus. He says at the end of chapter two there, we should imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says of, of Timothy, he says, I have no one like him, verse, chapter 2, verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is a man of compassion and empathy. He's genuinely concerned for others. Paul says, model your life after that. Paul says about Epaphroditus in verse 23, or 25, he says, I thought it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. He's my brother, my fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He's faithful, he's diligent, he's, he sacrifices, and he serves well. He's a worker and a soldier, a messenger and a minister. Be like Timothy, Paul tells us. Be like Epaphroditus, Paul tells us. But then, if you look on to chapter 3, in verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, imitate me. Paul says, I am an example for you. 
He says, imitate me, and he says it a little bit earlier in chapter 3. He says, don't imitate me because of who I am or because of what I have accomplished, but imitate me because of the way that I attempt to follow Jesus, because of the work of Jesus in me. He says it, look back in chapter 3, verse 4. He says it this way. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. To the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul tells us it's not about who he is or what he has accomplished, but it's about Christ at work in us. That we might become more and more like Jesus. That our hope comes from Jesus. And we haven't arrived there yet. We're in this process. We're in this journey. Our joy is coming more and more complete. He says that in, it, it, just as you continue on there, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I haven't already obtained this, Paul says. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it, that you also only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me, he says. He says, it's not in what I have accomplished on my own, but it's God at work in me, Christ at work in me. And I haven't arrived yet. I'm still straining. I'm still pressing. I'm still working. I'm still becoming more and more like Jesus, Paul says. I'm still working towards it. But join me. Join in imitating me. And then he says, because, because our future, our transformation, our glorious inheritance, all of that is yet to arrive Our future, though, is secure. Look at it, he says in verse 20. Our citizenship, in chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He says we're becoming more and more like Jesus, but there will be a day. There will be a day when we will be transformed and our transformation will be complete. There will be a day when we will become just like Jesus. 
There will be a day when our citizenship in heaven is complete and our transformation and our inheritance will be secure. There will be a day where we will be like him. And so we wait, Paul says, but we wait with joy. We wait with joy. And that's how Paul closes the letter. If you look at chapter 4, we don't have time to look at all of that, but, but he reminds us again and again to rejoice. That's what the verse was on the screen that you saw as you came in today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, he says. He gives us a double command to rejoice in verse 4 of chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds us, remember J-O-Y, Jesus is the first part of joy, as Lauren would tell us. Rejoice in the Lord always, because the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's about him. So we bring our requests to Jesus. We look to him first. And we practice. We practice Jesus at work in us. We practice that with others. That's what he says there in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you as you rub shoulders with those around you, as you rub shoulders with others, practice what you have learned. Practice what God is doing already in you, the work of the Spirit in you. And then, as you look to yourself, you find contentment in doing all things through the strength that comes through Jesus. That's what he says in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in Whatever situation I am, to be content, he says. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We find contentment in resting in the one who is at work in and through us. Paul wants the Philippian church to know joy. He wants you and I to know joy as well, and it comes in looking to the example and encouragement of Jesus. It's declaring the work of God in us as we rub shoulders with others around us, and it's finding our own contentment and the strength that comes through Jesus. The worship team is gonna come and help us today to close our service. You're going to help us to sing one of the songs that we have about how Christ is at work in us. That is our hope in glory. Paul doesn't want the Philippian church, he doesn't want the Philippian church to just try harder. He doesn't want them to hear his instructions and just grit their teeth and jump into it all the more. But he says it's Christ at work in you. You can do all things through him who gives you strength. Your transformation is not complete, but we are going to become more and more like Jesus, and so I hope that you will find joy in the midst of it. Stand with me this morning, if you would, as we sing together.
gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and I shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me 